Welcome to Season 8 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from around the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Grant Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Thanks so much for watching. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today, I'm joined by the fabulous Lynn Azarki, author of The Empathy Advantage. She's also the executive director of the Kids Bridge Youth Center outside of Trenton, New Jersey in the US. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to fostering bullying prevention, anti-bias, diversity appreciation, empathy, and empowerment strategies for youth. My goodness, this is work so important. KidsBridge has educated more than 30,000 preschool, elementary, and middle school students and educators to help improve their social emotional skills each year. Lynn is a frequent speaker at parent and teacher groups, corporations, and major educational conferences. I'm so excited to welcome you to the show, Lynn. I am so excited to meet you and love the work you're doing in Canada. So it's um it's so needed and so important i know we're going to have a great conversation about the importance of empathy beautiful so right out of the gates i see that you've got this fabulous book in the top right corner the empathy advantage i want to hear all about that and i want to hear about your day job so let me start with my day job because my day job informed the work that i'm doing now because i felt uh alone in the void and i thought this this is such an important message if no one else was proclaiming it, that I had to. So I've been director of Kidsbridge Youth Center, as you said, in New Jersey, serving all of New Jersey for 20 years. And uh, started with social emotional skills, you know, respect and kindness. So empathy sort of crossed my path. And I thought, oh my goodness, to me, empathy was the foundation, right, of all social emotional skills for kids and adults. And so we need to teach it. We started teaching it in the youth center. And the professor at a college I will not name said, you can't teach empathy. We're born with what we're born with. And that's what you get. And you can't change those levels. And to me, it was like a dare, right? So, you know, okay, I'm going to take that dare. So we've uh, every year we have like 2000 kids in the center, of course, with COVID. Now we're teaching remotely. So every kid who would come into the center, we did a pre and a post survey and analyzed it with SPSS, which is a sophisticated software package. And not in the beginning, you know, we had to really hone our activities and curricula, what we were doing. But my goodness, we measured in four hours working with the kids in small groups, a statistically significant increase in empathy. Eureka. So I went back to some of these professors and said, Yes, we can. And so here I am with professors and here I am with other adults. And they say, you can't teach empathy. Well, you know what, folks, you can. I've measured it. You can measure it. And then I started exploring books, articles. You know, a lot of them were you can't teach empathy. The newer articles said you could. So this is really my message to proclaim. You can teach empathy to your children. You can teach empathy to your spouse, your family, your parents, and you can measure it and you can have fun doing it, right? It doesn't have to be a slug. There's a lot of tips I hope to you offer a few to your listeners. You can have fun doing this. So let's jump in. So that journey, let me finish. 
articles, books, and now I'm saying, yes, you can teach empathy, you can teach kindness and respect, um, you can also teach empowerment, which we might get to today. And then, then the stack starts building, right? Articles, books, and if you saw my office upstairs, you would scream because it's all books and articles. And then I look around, nobody's saying what I want to say, right? So um, I started writing some articles. I started doing some op-eds in the local newspaper, and then it became an obsession. And then I wrote this book in uh, paperback and hardback, The Empathy Advantage, which is what is the advantage of empathy, coaching children, students, children to be kind, respectful, and successful. And so that's the little paperback you see here. Beautiful. And I, I've read um, Michelle Borba's Unselfie, which is also talking about that. So unpack for us a little bit, like, you know, not, not chapter by chapter, but what are some of the key things that that your your book is is sharing with parents? So a brief a tour through my book is what I said to you before. Empathy is important. It can be taught. I visit the biology. I mean, many animals have empathy. Elephants mourn when another elephant dies. Primates, of course, orangutans, gorillas, and uh, chimpanzees have a lot of empathy. Uh, prairie voles, which like this little creature on the prairie, have empathy for others. So I can't say most animal species have, but many do. From there, I go on to unpack this developmentally, right? So empath children are born with empathy in the hospital. When they hear another baby crying, they will cry. It's called mirror neurons. So we're born with the capacity for empathy. It's sort of like a bell curve. Some have a lot, some have medium, some have a little. Psychopaths, and we won't go down that path, psychopaths have none. So um, Sasha Baron Cohen's cousin studies this in England, and 2% of the population have no empathy, okay? So visiting that developmentally, what you can do for your child, baby, to three. What you can do for your toddler, your elementary school child. These are different chapters, middle school, high school. There's something for everyone that you could just, at a drop of a hat, figure out a tip and activity um, of empathy. The book concludes with chapters on social media. You know, oh, my God, goodness, what the kids are doing today. Social media. Uh, bullying, you know, Kidsbridge main studies bullying prevention, the intersections of bullying um, with bullying with being a target. We don't say victim anymore, target. And finally, empathy in the bystanders who stand there might have empathy, but don't know what to do. So empathic action is really uh, inculcated in my book. And then the grand finale of my book, which I could save to the end, but I have to say it now so I don't forget it. Empathy is really a path to preserving democracy. If we don't care about others and we don't act for others, hello, America, we're, we're doomed. We have to care about others who look different, who speak differently, who come from different places. And so empathy, I think, is really uh, the solution and a cure to the dissonance that we face today. Oh, I call it the collective empathy deficit, the massive collective empathy deficit. I couldn't agree more. I'm so, so, so with you. So not only will I buy the book, but I'm going to be putting together a series of um, community book meetings like where you like a book club meeting and we'll have you featured and we'll bring some oh, parents I'd love together to do that. Fantastic. love to do that thank you so how did you become obsessed with this in the first place and now yeah 
when did I first become obsessed? I think it was the dare that, you know, so I, you know, mother of two, I'm an empty nester and tried to inculcate as much as I could with my kids. Um, I was uh, a new director of Kidsbridge. We used to call it Tolerance Center. Now we go beyond Tolerance to the Youth Center. And I guess, you know, research informed. So every week, my staff and I were reading research. And so I thought that, you know, we scaffold things and there's a pyramid. So I just came to believe, I guess, from what I was reading from the experts, from journals, right? Peer reviewed journals, not in the popular press that I was feeling that empathy was the foundation to other social emotional skills, the most important. I don't know if you've heard of CASEL, C-A-S-E-L in the States, where they have a wheel of social emotional skills. And empathy's in there, but from my own hunch, I just felt like empathy was really job one, where you would start and then care about others. And I do have a triad to share that I've created myself with my staff, of course, at Kidsbridge. So empathy for oneself, right? That's where you have to start. So many people are hurting today and the kids, stress, anxiety. So start with yourself, self-compassion. And Kristen Neff, have you heard of her? Uh, Dr. Neff Sanford is a place to begin. She's got workbooks. She is the, the go-to guru for self-compassion. Okay, then stage two, uh, part two is empathy for others. So once you got your together, then how about empathy for others, empathy for your children, your spouse, your relatives, your friends and family, empathy for people in the workplace. We can improve that. And then finally, if I'm feeling sorry for uh, Anita who's being bullied and I don't do anything to support you, that's not very helpful to Anita. I have to do something for Anita. I invite her to my lunch table. She's all alone. She's a new student. Uh, Anita's being bullied. So I'm going to maybe call her that night or maybe I'm going to tell an adult. So it's this triad that I've created that I'm, I'm trying to share with other people. So we get a little, you know, get empathy on on the table. That is super powerful. I love that. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but for my Ph.D., I wrote a thesis called Introducing a Pedagogy of Empathic Action. And it was exactly that, that empathy alone is not enough. Uh, we need to act on it. And it's only in the last few years that I've kind of seen the importance of that self-empathy piece. And the more I read about trauma, um, you know, I, there's something in the States, I can't remember what it's called, is um, an acronym for, you know, there's there's certain markers of trauma in a child's life. And if you have- ACEs, A-C-E. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, COVID, oh my goodness. So uh, Kidsbridge is really dedicated to low-income um, I hate the word disadvantaged, low-income, at-risk kids, say, in Trenton. So COVID made things so much worse. So at ACES score, very simple, adverse childhood experiences. So it's a measurement score for minority or black and brown children. You know, we're near Trenton, New Jersey, to measure children's stress. Their parent might be in jail. Uh, their parents might be selling drugs. Their parents might be, um, you know, angry and there's just a sense of distress in the house. So they measure the trauma for kids so that when 
that's evaluated and shared with teachers, counselors, administrators. They can be holistic and wrap around the child and the family empathetically, right, to help that child. So these kids are crying out for more need and support. And so I think empathy to the rescue with that ACE score, they know what they're dealing with, right? I mean, your mother's in jail. Oh, and I had, we've had kids. Her mother was in jail. She was in third grade. I remember her name, Dominique. And I won't give her last name. And she was, you know, she actually turned out to be a bully because she was embarrassed. This is how she dealt with this. Her mother's in jail. Everybody else has a mother, right? And so kids from a very young age are perceptive of what they have, what they don't have, what others have, and, and so may respond in a, in a way that is not efficient for themselves or is really maladaptive. So that's what ACEs are. Fantastic. Thank you for that, because I was reading about like collective trauma and, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, I mean, it's almost impossible to glean over the fact that children must be in trauma in the US living in a culture where going to school means the potential for a mass shooting to take place. Like it just happened again a month ago. Empathy. You know, I just saw, by the way, please send me your PhD. I want to read it. I absolutely want to read it. So don't forget to do that. Um, I was watching an Ovaldi father last night and I usually turn it off because I just can't handle it. Like I'm too empathetic. I was watching him and, and I, I'm trying to, men are standing outside while a, a you know, madman is killing their children and the police are standing. I mean, so not only a lack of empathy and fear, I'm sure, but bystanders, right? So also Kidsbridge has a system of bullies, targets, and bystanders. A big problem with our society is lack of empathic action. But, you know, all these police are looking at each other and they're all making the wrong decision that the kids are being slaughtered. So there's a lot. There's an intersection of empathy with action and empathy with making the right decision. Like your police chief says not to go in. You get a couple other guys. Don't go by yourself. Get a couple guys and go in and save those children's lives. So uh, it, it's it's just horrible. And we think that, I mean, I'm saying this because we're so deep in it that we have to save the world and democracy with empathy. But the flip side is the opportunity. Imagine if we exercise more empathy, how much more of a sense of belonging we would have, how much better health we would have, mental health, relationships. Like there's so much that we can all benefit from, not just save the world stuff where it feels almost like a burden and an urgent kind of like, ah, like, you know what I mean? Oxytocin flows through our body. Serotonin Amen. flows through our body when we are in this empathic embrace and it makes us feel better. Why wouldn't we want more of that? Right. And helping other people uh, is makes you feel good, right? With those hormones, makes you feel empowered and you grow up to be a team oriented, loving, caring person. These are the people who make the, the best leaders in a job environment. These are the people who make the best friends. These are people I read a study in college, like more empathetic kids do better in the first years of college because they're better at friendships and listening. And let's not forget, this is a tip for your listeners, active listening. Okay. Put down the phones, 
with your family, with your friends, at lunch, at dinner, put the phones away, active listening. Okay, so I'm listening to you now. I'm looking at you five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. We really have to be more in tune with others. I have a quick story for you. I went into a pizza joint and a father who I know is very busy and travels all the time. He's having a father's lunch with this, with his son. Guess what? They're both on their phones. That's not a lunch. So that kind of stuff, we have to like wake up and and coach these people. So here is here is the epiphany for what I so passionately believe. We have to start younger with empathy. We have to teach empathy younger. We have to kids are smarter than we think. We have to listen them, involve them. What you mentioned before, a sense of belonging. We have to do that better, Anita. Today's episode was brought to you by Grand Here and International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. And you've heard of Roots of Empathy? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I know it started in Canada. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's in the States a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's fabulous because they're bringing babies right into the classrooms. Yeah. Why don't you, yeah. you know more than I am, Sharon Roots? Well, I I interviewed the founder, Mary Gordon, a long time ago for my PhD and have watched her kind of organization flourish. I mean, she's the kind of woman where I literally I still remember taking off my sweater during the interview because she radiated so much warmth. Um, She's from the East Coast of Canada. And there's just something special about uh, the East Coasters uh, being like really kind people. But she had a vision and it started with just like her own experience as a teacher. She was teaching kids and she was watching the behaviors of children in her class and noticing the correlation between like some disruptive antisocial behavior in the classroom and what might be happening in the home. And she's like, how can we break this cycle of violence? And so it started with a little experiment where she brought a baby into the classroom and the children sat in a circle and observed what the baby was going through and started using vocabulary to describe what the baby was feeling. She calls that emotional literacy. And then, you know, fast forward now it exists in countries all over the world. They've got chapters everywhere and they've got independent research that shows that bringing these babies into the classroom, like typically if you're a parent and you're near a school that has the Roots of Empathy program, like if you're a pregnant lady, you're like, oh, I can't wait for my baby to be a Roots of Empathy baby because they're about three months old in September, isn't it? And then every month they come back for a visit and so much happens in three months to 12 months, right? Like the, all, a lot happens in terms of child development and the kids have age appropriate curriculum, depending on what their grade level is with a facilitator. And ultimately, you know, the bullying rates drop, like similar to what I guess what kids bridge does with just a different format. But I think we need to, as parents to stop putting so much pressure on the academic development of our children. Cause that's going to, it's going to be taken care of by itself anyways, through all the robotics and AI that's coming. What we really need to do is to develop our emotional skills so that we can collaborate and problem solve and be kind to each other. Amen, sister. So let me tell those listeners and parents good news. When you have a strong SEL, social emotional empathy program, it leads to better academics. If a child is feeling self-compassion, and agency, that child can focus better in the class. And so to me, this is job one, right? And back to your point about babies, we can't all lug babies around. I mean, call, for, call and see if you can get that Roots program in your school. But another way 
to develop empathy young is to have a pet. Could be a hamster, could be a dog or cat. The, the principles with the babies is the same thing. What are the prompts? How is that dog feeling? How is the cat feeling? You know, your hamster, it, hot, cold, you know, just walk in the shoes of that baby, walk in the shoes of that animal. And, and parents can use this kind of language. How does that feel? How would you feel? How does, you know, spot and puff feeling? <laughs> I have to come up with more modern names. Anyway, um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of things that a simple, quick, easy thing parents can do. They don't have to be overwhelmed with this. And so one father, I said, you know, empathy, just 20 minutes, 20 minutes a day. He freaked out. He said, I don't have 20 minutes a day. OK, you know what? 20 minutes a week. I'll take that. Right. Right. I just had a eureka moment because I have one daughter and she's been wanting a pet and I'm allergic oh. to cats and dogs. So I'm thinking at 10 years old, maybe we'll get some hypoallergenic poodle. But you know what? You just struck me like, you know, a gerbil, hamster, fish, even, you know, something where it's outside themselves and they, they can befriend and care for. Right, yeah, right. Okay, and, and so, you know, this stuff doesn't happen automatically. A couple and I have prompts in my book, but people can figure this out. How is the fish feeling? How is the guinea pig feeling? What do they want? Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? So they start to identify and uh, maybe anthropomorphize that pet, but then this is like a path to empathy. They're, they're, they are that hamster, they are that gerbil, they are that fish, and it's a wonderful gateway to, to more empathy. Beautiful. So tell me, as a bottom line, as a big takeaway, a meta takeaway, what do you want listeners and viewers to do? Okay, so first of all, I want to know, they want them to know that this is a problem and it's getting worse. COVID, locked in, lack of belonging, isolation, more time on videos and media. Uh, media is cruel, like reality shows. Um, so empathy is measured to be declining for middle high schools and college students. Very alarming. Why is that? The media is one problem. Um, Interpersonal skills are declining. Face-to-face -face is declining because of the way our society is changing. So what I want to first do is sign, sound the alarm bell, right? This is a problem for all of us. And we are a society and we care about one another or we should. And so this is a problem that you need to solve in your home doing you know, some of the things that you and I are recommending. The other point is we have to open our mouths to school. What is the social emotional program in your school? Is it good? Is it evidence-based? What is evidence-based? It means that the, the program has been measured that it's actually working. So, you know, I'm not going to ask an adult to go into the school alone, but you can get a few friends and you make an appointment with the counselor or the principal and you say, you know, we're just wondering, you know, we see these statistics. We're just wondering about empathy and empowerment. What are you doing in this school for my children. My, I was very disappointed in my children's schools. They, oh, it's not a problem. Diversity is not a problem. And it was. And, and I tried to get some resonance and, and get on, you know, get the attention of the administrators. It's, it is hard to do if you do it by yourself. You don't have to do it by yourself. Have a coffee clutch, get some friends. Uh, you know, husbands, wives, parents, and figure out what you can do. I mean, there's so many things you can do, right? Don't leave it up to the school. Maybe you want to testify at the school board and say, 
you know, I'm just wondering as a parent, I mean, taxes are so high for school, get your money's worth and know that when you have better social emotional programs, you benefit the whole school, you benefit the whole community. So I want people to know that. I want people to know COVID was really rough on mostly black and brown children. They don't have a house with a lawn and a yard. They're in these small apartments. The stress of keeping safe, the stress of losing, losing a parent, the stress of illness, the stress of, um, you know, people packed together in a very small space. So hopefully COVID is leaving us, who knows, but I want people to be empathetic to other people and do something to, you know, reach out in the community to help yeah. others. Yeah. Thank you for that call to action. So on a high note, um, I would love to ask you if you can think of maybe an anecdote, a sweet memory that you have leading Kids Bridge, where you've seen like your work manifest in a way that's heartening and inspiring, like just give you, give us some of the feels. I have a great one. I have a few great ones, but I'll give you one elementary if you have time. I'll give you a middle school one. So I got a letter and, you know, we'd lots of kids come through kids through and I got a letter from an elementary school kid and it said, I'm so sorry. I made fun of, you know, this person or the group and I feel really bad. And I, I, he was like eight or nine. It was a young boy. And I apologize. I shouldn't have done that. And I feel really bad about it. It was like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. So that was one thing. Uh, another one that I got. Um, from a kid being in the, the center for four hours and we asked the kids to do reflections usually, right? And he said, I didn't realize I was a bully. Mm -hmm. I didn't, it was an epiphany for the child that they, oh, I am a person who harms, you know, my behavior is not appropriate. And it was like an epiphany for, for him. So that was so heartwarming. And here's the last one I'll share. I mean, I have thousands of reflections and epiphanies and sometimes from the adults, mm -hmm. sometimes from the teachers, because if they're paying attention, they'll learn as well. So this last one that really resonates with me is from a middle school. Oh, this was a female. This was a young girl, seventh or eighth grade. And she said, I didn't realize that other people were bullied. Mm. So she's in eighth grade. She knows other people are bullied and mean and stuff, but it was a personal epiphany for her that she felt Kidsbridge was a safe place for her. And this is what we have to do, right? Classrooms have to be safe places that she realized she's not the only one. There's nothing wrong with her, right? Millions of kids are bullied. And this young lady just was like, Oh, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. Bullying is something that happens to lots of kids because we talk about bullying. And so, oh, and one more. I, I could do this for another 15 minutes that a child wrote. So what we do um, at the end of Kids Bridge are skits and scenarios where we um, have a skit of exclusion or a skit of being mean or a skit of bullying. And the kids have to solve the problem of the skit. So kids who leave say, you know, now I know what to do, right? And so this is another important message for your listeners. You know, do the right thing. Do this, do that. Even for adults, if we don't practice, we freeze, we don't know what to do. And that is a very important message. You can do skits in your home. 
You can practice when exclusion or your child doesn't know what to do. Somebody was mean to me today. Okay, sit down, kitchen table. What can you do? What would happen if you do that? What are other things you can do? And, you know, I just watched a, a conference on student voice. Have your kids participate. Listen to them. Don't tell them what to do. Right. You're you're a coach. You're a coach and your mentor. So by listening to thousands of children in the center, I really appreciate what's going on in there and that that Kidsbridge is a safe place. And that's what you want your home to be, your classroom. Right. A safe place to share, because then you can drink in. You can emit empathy and you can drink in empathy. It goes both ways. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And I also appreciate that you were saying to parents as a call to action, like go to your school administrator, go to your principal and say, what are you doing? But let me ask this. Sure. Teachers have had also a really rough time over the last couple of years. They've been put through the grind. What do you, what would you say to parents who have kids in school that you think they might not fully realize or appreciate, like speak on behalf of the teaching staff what they're doing for their own self-care and their own self-compassion, their self-empathy, like given the craziness that they've just endured. What's the message? So the message from me in listening to so many teachers for 20 years is that teachers are heroes. It's such a hard job. It's an exhausting job. And in having to be a teacher myself, when I don't have a staff member, I, I, teaching is so hard. It's exhausting if you're doing a good job. Half of teaching is really entertaining and more so today because kids have very short attention spans because the media is right there. So I think a few years ago before COVID, which exacerbated the, you know, teachers are teaching remotely and in person. Can you even imagine the energy for that? So I asked teachers, you know, three or four years ago, (laughs) they would give me such looks. Is it harder to be a teacher today than it was 10 years ago? Because I, you know, had a lot of teachers cycling through. They would come back to Kidsbridge every year. Is it harder than it was 10 years ago? And they would look at me like I was out of my mind. Like, how can you even ask us that question? So. Okay, why? Well, um, I'm going to have to point to the media because, you know, with media, right, we can't see each other. It's instant gratification. School is not instant gratification. The face-to-face skills are diminishing. Um, I know from talking to teachers today with COVID, preschool kids don't know how to sit in a chair, They don't know how to be in a classroom. They don't know how to be in a group. I've heard that high schoolers are acting like middle schoolers and middle schoolers are acting like elementary school kids, right? So they've been out of the the social skills venue. So so circling back, if it was hard for teachers before, it's increasingly even harder for teachers now. We're, We're getting a lot of pushback in the States on social emotional skills if you can even believe that and um you know just in florida discussing race i mean kids perceive skin color at three so the pushback is really harmful to who to kids to kids who want to grow up and appreciate others it's harmful to anti-bias anti-racism diversity appreciation we we just we have to do things differently so teachers buy them something. Some teachers buy their own school supplies. Do something for your teacher today. Appreciate them. Amen. 
Amen. It's my daughter's last day at kindergarten today. And I oh. remember writing, writing the thank you note. And I yeah. spent like one visit during the school year for 15 minutes in that class, watching the kids bounce around and God bounce. bless. They are bouncing. And, yeah, that's it. That's against it. Yeah. the walls and against each other. So I, I think in the States we might be in, have an impending shortage of teachers. So um, appreciate your teachers. There's things you can do for them. Appreciate them. Yes. Now at the final, I've got my final send off question that's coming, which is a personal story from you. But just as the penultimate question, da, 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 why is empathy so important for our future? Empathy is important for our future because I'm kind of surprised that people are, they only care about themselves or their family or their, you know, people who go in their community or their church or, you know, the groups that they're in, their sports team, only, only mine. So I think that we need to care about others, right? It makes the society a better place. So what are the ways that you can in your family Break out. Um, I have a diagram in my book. Break out of this circle that you're in and care about the homeless. Care about, you know, um, the refugees. Care about the war in Climate. Ukraine. Climate, mm -hmm. right? Pick a cause that your child is passionate about and do that. But we need to break through that circle of who we care about and enlarge that circle because ultimately. The world is a better place when you care about the people in Ukraine suffering. Can you go there? No, but you can make a donation. And for goodness sakes, involve your kids. You know, if they're passionate about the ocean or Ukraine or South America, a wonderful man just gave his life trying to make things better for indigenous people in the rainforest, trying to ra save the rainforest. There are heroes online and there are kid heroes online. Get online next to your child and research kid heroes and heroes around the world making a difference. We, you can very easily inspire you know, your children and your family and work together as a team, right? You're a team. Oh, this is this has been a delicious conversation. I have so enjoyed chatting with you. Final question. Can you share a time in your life when you personally were on the receiving end of what I call purposeful empathy? So somebody was empathizing with you and what it meant for you. So so first of all, I think of my mother and my father, of course, um, that um, there was a time in ninth grade that I remember I was running for vice president of my class and my mother, um, my friends were supposed to help me with my campaign. They left and then my mother came and helped me with my advertising material, which was very warm and supportive. A, con a lot of conversations with my dad, just, um, you know, the struggles that you have as a teenager and in college, because the I, I was expecting a very empathetic world. And then, you know, somebody borrows money from you and they don't give it back. So it's, you know, as a young adult, you struggle through. And so I think my, my parents did listen to me. Um, of course, I have a, a very empathetic son and daughter and a sister and a husband, can't forget the husband, who support me in my work. So there have been wonderful, beautiful moments along the way where um, people just, you know, were supportive of me. They called me up. How are you doing? 
Um, and so that makes me stronger that I can be empathetic for other people because there's so many people and some of my friends, you know, that are really hurting. So, yeah, I have those memories and it makes you feel warm, you know, and fuzzy inside. And I'm thrilled to meet you because you're doing this important work. So I'm feeling really good. Well, I love the shout out to mom, dad, husband and family. I think for me as a kind of concluding thought is anybody who's listening and watching to this point. Think about somebody in your life that you love and find a way to extend a little bit of empathy their way because we could all benefit from a little dose of empathy on a, on a regular basis. And if I could just add to that, something I do that really shocks people, Anita, pay a compliment, right? People just don't, oh, that's, you look great today or those are nice new shoes or, or complimenting kids' behavior, right? Kids are not... Um, you know, a model, not a mold. So that, oh, that's so nice what you just did for your baby sister. I love the way you shared the raisins or something like that. So we need to praise um, children and the people and adults. Adults are, are yearning for it too. I think there's some people who can't even hear a compliment, including my daughter, but it's like, stop, I'm going to give you a compliment. I want you to listen to me and like, oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? We just... We have to say more nice things, support each other, empathy. <laughs> Lynn, on that concluding note, I want to thank you. I want to thank all our listeners for watching, our viewers for tuning in. We'll see you next week at Purposeful Empathy. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm thrilled to have a sister in Canada. <laughs> what if you had access to your own council of coaches to help you break free from your thinking clutter and make important decisions and liberate you from whatever is holding you back. At Grand Huron International, you get to choose the coach of your choice anytime from anywhere. Visit GrandHuronInternational.com and harness the power of on-demand coaching today. Thank you.